If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 33 this morning. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 33. We're continuing our series, Worship Matters. Now, we began this series a few weeks back, and in our first message, we learned that everybody worships, every human being worships someone or something, but misdirected worship leads to divine judgment. And then we've discovered that genuine worship, genuine worship is Christ-centered worship that emanates, comes from the Spirit, and is grounded in the truth of God's Word, so it, it consists of both heart, the emotions, and the mind, our thinking. And then uh, we looked at, last week, Jason looked at uh, the importance of unity in worship and how we should be, we must be unified when we come together as a church in the worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And today, as we continue on, we consider orderly worship, orderly worship. So, if you found your place there in 1 Corinthians, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. First Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 26, hear the word of the Lord. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Let all things be done for building up. If anyone, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let and let the other, others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another, sit, uh, another who is sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And if the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, today as we, we come to this portion of our service where we listen to you, we, we kneel at your throne of grace and we pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. And may we grow through your word. Be with us now, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when you think of, of chaos, chaos tends to be destructive rather than constructive, right? When you think of something that is chaotic, when you think of chaos, what are the images that come to mind? Well, I think of a raging storm, or the raging of the sea, or war. These are things that are marked by chaos, and those things uh, uh, lead to destruction. A raging sea sinks the ship. A, a, a severe storm destroys property. And war destroys everything. And so chaos tends to lead towards destructive or destruction. But if we want to be constructive, 
If we want to build up, then we have to get things in order. And it doesn't matter whether you're, you're building a house or, or conducting a, a schoolroom classroom or a worship service. There must be order. There must be a purpose. There must be plan. There must be an order of doing things. Otherwise, it's not going to be constructive. No one's going to be built, built up out of it. And so with worship, there must be order. We must have orderly worship if the church tends to be, or expects to be built up. As Paul, we're reading this letter in 1 Corinthians today, we're reading from this letter of 1 Corinthians. Let me give you a little bit of background there. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He is on his third missionary journey, and his second missionary journey, he established the church in Corinth. And now he is on his third missionary journey, and he's kind of camped out in Ephesus and, and doing some ministry there. He spent about three years in Ephesus. He had spent about uh, almost three years in Corinth to build that church several years prior to this. But now he, he is in Ephesus, and some problems have occurred within the church. And so one, the, the church in Corinth, they have written to Paul, and they've, they're saying that, hey, we've got some questions. We're, we're going through all of this, and we've got some questions, and we need you to answer some questions. Well, in the meantime, someone, perhaps even the person who has delivered the letter to Paul from the Corinthians, has told, them, told Paul about some things that are taking place in the Corinthian church. Some problems that have arisen. And so Paul not only is answering questions, but he's also addressing, it, addressing some issues, some problems within the church there at Corinth. One of the problems is worship. Their worship services were marked by chaos rather than order. Uh, you have these people, and uh, we can tell from our text today, that apparently what was taking place in these church services, and, and you have to understand their church services were far different from ours. We, we have to remember the context there. This, the church in Corinth, most likely there were several churches, and they were house churches, probably of around maybe 20 people within the household there, however many you could stuff into a, a household in the first century there. So probably around 20 people in this house church. And they would gather together, and so they, they weren't quite like we are here. We've got a big, uh, a big building and a, and a large congregation, and, and we come together. So the order of things was a little bit different. But what was taking place as they came together in these house churches, apparently, was that you know someone would be sitting there teaching, giving instruction, and all of a sudden, in the middle of everything, this person would jump up and start speaking in tongues. And then as that one's speaking in tongues, another one would jump up and, and give a prophecy. And all of these things were just taking place, and it was, it was really chaotic in, in these church services, these early church services. And so Paul is writing to address that. He's wanting to show them that, no, you, you need to, to get rid of the chaos and bring things in order. And so as we look at our text today, what we're going to learn is that worship that honors God and builds up the church is orderly worship. Worship that honors God and builds up the church is orderly worship. It's marked by order. And so we're going to see here three goals of orderly worship. Three goals of orderly worship that we see in our text today. 
So as we learn these three goals of orderly worship, I want us to be encouraged, and I want you to encourage you to, uh, as you come to worship service week after week, I want to encourage you to come prepared to participate, do your part in the worship service, so that the church as a whole may be built up in our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, three goals of orderly worship. Three goals of orderly worship. First of all, we see that worship must be ordered for edification. Worship must be ordered for edification. Notice what Paul says there in that first little bit there, the first verse. What then, brothers... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, what Paul is saying there is that everyone participates. Everyone participates in the worship service. Everybody has their parts. Now, in this, this age, when you've got 20 people there, uh, yeah, everybody brings maybe a hymn to sing, and, and everybody, you know, somebody brings a lesson. Not everybody brings the same thing, but, but someone, they bring some, sing, some hymns to sing, and someone else, they bring the lesson and, and all of these things. Everybody's coming to participate. Now, in our services, you come to participate, Right? I come to preach, Brother Larry comes to, to lead the music, the musicians, they come to play and they come prepared to do their part in the service. But you participate as well, don't you? You come as active listeners and active participants. When you come, you don't come just to, to, to be a spectator. Church is not a spectator sport, right? You don't just come to watch and observe. You come to participate. So you are actively engaged in, in singing the hymns that we sing. You are actively engaged in worshiping and giving thanks to our Lord. You're, you're there to, to listen to the Word of God as, as it is proclaimed to you. So everyone participates. But not only does everyone participate, but everything edifies. Everything edifies. Everything that we do should edify, be used for the building up of the church. Notice what he says there. All things be done, let all things be done for building up. Other, other versions of the Bible, they say uh, for edification, for edifying, for edifying the church. That's building up the church. So when we come to church, when we come to worship service, each and every one of us ought to come expecting to be built up in some way, edified in some way. We're coming to, to give thanks to God. We're coming to, to hear a word from the Lord. And so we're not, not just coming to a church and, and coming in here to, to watch things and just see how things go. We're not just coming just because this is what we do on Sunday mornings. We're coming expecting to get something out of it. Expecting to be built up in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we come together for that purpose. And everything that we do, everything that takes place in our church services ought to be geared towards, ought to have the purpose of building up the body of believers who gathers here. Now, we see here in the text that this is a problem for the church in Corinth. Because you have some people there who are coming to not build up the church, but they're coming to build up themselves. Look what he says there. If anyone, verse 27, if anyone 
If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. Now, today's message is not about speaking in tongues, and, and I don't want to get too deep into that, but I feel like I do need to have some kind of explanation here about what Paul is talking about. Uh, of course, as Baptists, we believe that, uh, typically we believe that, that the gifts of speaking in tongues is something that pretty well has passed away. It, it ended around about the first century of the church. The speaking in tongues, the gift of speaking in tongues, I believe, was a gift for the purpose of evangelism. It was a gift for the purpose of evangelism. It was a gift because uh, as the gospel came to that first century, the first century apostles, not all of them spoke all the languages of the empire, of the known world in that day. And so the gifts of tongues was the ability to speak in a known language to another person, it may be a language that person, the person with the gift did not know, right? Like if I had the gift of tongues, I would not know the language. I don't know Spanish, right? I don't know Spanish. But if I had the gift of tongues and I went to a Spanish community, then God would give me the gift to speak to them in their language so that they could understand the message. We see this right from the very beginning in Acts, Acts chapter 2. As the apostles and the, the disciples are gathered together and the, the Spirit falls down upon them and they go out and speaking in tongues. This is the first place that speaking in tongues takes place. And it says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 7, And they were amazed and astonished. That is, that, are, that is the people outside, not the disciples, the people who are observing the disciples coming out speaking in tongues. They were astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our native language? You see, the gift of tongues was a way that they communicated the gospel to a people in their own language. The person speaking that did not know that language, but the Spirit empowered them to speak that language for the purpose of evangelism. And so that, what, that's what I think mo, uh, the, the gift of tongues in Scripture is geared towards. It's, it's speaking to people. It's an, an evangelistic gift in order to take the gospel to a people who don't have the gospel and speak in a language unlike your own. And I've heard other stories, even in modern day times, of missionaries going to far off lands and God giving them the ability in a moment to speak in that foreign language. They did not know the language, but God gave them the ability to speak in that language to communicate the gospel. You don't hear about it much, but it does still happen occasionally. But it is for that purpose. It is a, a known tongue that is spoken for the ability, for the purpose of sharing the gospel with someone who does not know the gospel. And we see this in 1 Corinthians as well. Up there in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 10, if you look up just a little bit from our passage there, Paul says in verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world. Here he's talking about the gifts of tongues. There are many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. And so the gift of tongues is a, a gift to be able to speak in a, an, an actual language, a language, of, a human language, to a people so that they can understand and receive the gospel. 
Now, some people here in the church in Corinth, they have the gift of tongues. But they're using it not for the purpose of evangelism, but they're using it to, well, show off. They're using it to show off. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, you think about it, speaking in tongues, that's, quite, quite, that's spectacular. I mean, you would be quite surprised if I just blurted off some Spanish here knowing that I knew nothing. I, I don't know Spanish, you know. I, I can order at the Mexican restaurant. That's about it, right? I can read it off the menu. Sometimes I even have to have help with that. I'm like, what is this? Yeah, it looks good. I'll take that, you know. I, but, but if I just started speaking in Spanish, you'd be like, whoa, where'd that come from? And that's what was taking place in this, this first century church in Corinth. And these guys were standing up, and they were speaking in a tongue, a tongue that they, they did not know naturally. They hadn't learned it, but they're just speaking it. And they're using this in church, and they're using it for uh, building up themselves, to show themselves off, to show off their gifts. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. If, if you don't... If, if there's someone there who speaks in a tongue, let there be two at most three, but only if there's an interpreter. Only if there's, a, if there's someone there who can interpret the tongue and tell you what that person is saying, then allow them to speak a word from the Lord. Otherwise, sit down and shut up. That's, that's what he says, right? That's what, exactly what he says. He says, uh, let each of them speak, uh, keep silent. If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Sit down and shut up. If no one's there to interpret it, if no one's getting anything out of it but other than you showing off your gifts, sit down, shut up, and let's get something that edifies the church. Hey, do you always see that in church today, though? I think we do. I mean, I've been in some church services before where uh, you had a, a music minister who's there to give on a, put on a show. He, he or she picks out arrangements that, that no one else in the congregation can possibly sing. I mean, they're way up here somewhere. They're showing off their gifts and their talents, but nobody in the church can follow along. Well, I'm really thankful for Brother Larry because when he's up here, when he and Sue are up here leading in music, uh, I forget they're up here, right? They're, they're getting us started. They're leading us, but then they kind of fade into the background. And that's the way it should be. No one should be here to just show off, to make it about them. It's about God, pointing people to God. That's it. And so in church... Everyone participates in the church service. You come ready to participate. Do your part, whether that's singing in the congregation or singing in the choir or, or just listening to the Word of God. You come ready to participate. And then everything that we do here, it must be for the purpose of edifying the saints, building up the whole body of Christ in their relationship with our Lord. Keep in mind when you come to church that it's not about me, it's about we. It's not about me, it's about we. I know that's not proper English, but it rhymes, right? It's not about me, it's about we. It's about us, it's about building up all of us. That's why when we talk about, especially in our Connections class, and I've talked about this in other places as well, one of the attitudes that we should have when we come to church is that I will not make my church about me and my preferences. 
Let that be each and every one of us. Let that be an attitude that we all have. It's not about me and my preferences. It's about God and His church. So we come with that attitude. We come ready to participate and we come to edify the whole body of believers. Worship then must be ordered for edification. Second, worship must be ordered for proclamation. Worship must be ordered for proclamation. And, and if you, we're, we're kind of coming in the middle here, so you're kind of missing what takes place, what Paul has talked about in, in especially chapter 14 prior to this. But he puts a heavy priority on the proclamation of God's Word. He puts a heavy, a heavy emphasis on the proclamation, on prophesying, he says. On, on the other hand, I'm just kind of backing up here to 14 verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now again, here, let me take a moment to explain prophecy. Prophecy in the first century church was, was necessary. They did not have the whole Bible. The, the New Testament was just, ne, just then being written. They didn't have the New Testament. In fact, when the first Corinthians, when Paul is writing to the first Corinthians, hardly any of the New Testament letters had been written. I don't think any of the Gospels had been written at that point in time. And, and maybe only uh, Galatians I think may have been the only letter that was written. And so they had very little of the New Testament in this first century church. And so God allowed the gift of prophecy to take place within the first century church. In other words, people were gifted to be able to give instruction to this new covenant community in the first century. And so as people spoke prophecy, they were speaking the word of the Lord. This was all in, in, in looking forward to the day that God would have the complete New Testament written and, and we could be able to come here like we do today and we, we don't need prophecy because we have the completed book. We have all that we need. God has finished His revelation to us. It is clear to us. We are now waiting on the return of Jesus. But we've got the Word in our hand. We don't need prophecy like they needed it in the first century. So Paul, he's talking here about prophecy as he continues on here. He's talking about prophecy. Look what he says there in verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And so what's he saying here? The prophets were, were kind of like the preachers. They were proclaiming the word of the Lord to the New Testament church, that first century church. They were proclaiming the word of the Lord to them. Well, that's my task to you today. My task is to prophesy, to proclaim the word of God to you. Now, I'm not just prophesying and God's not just giving it to me as I'm going. I mean, he, he gave me the word. He gave me the word to study and I've studied it all week and I've prepared the message off of God's word. And now I'm proclaiming God's word to you. And so what Paul is saying then is to let the preacher preach. When you come to worship, when you come to worship and you're ready to, to hear the Word, let the preacher preach. But then let the listeners listen. Let the preacher preach and let the listeners listen. That's what he says. Let the prophets, let uh, two or three 
let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Let the others listen. Let the others listen. You see, because here's the thing. God's Word is infallible. It's inerrant. But I'm not. I can make mistakes. As hard as I study and as hard as I dig into God's Word, I can make mistakes. So your task is to weigh what is said. Listen to what is said. Weigh it. Compare what I say to, to the rest of Scripture to make sure I'm preaching soundly. I don't want you to just take everything I say at face value. I want you to dig into God's Word. Check, my, check me with God's Word. Am I with God's Word? Am I proclaiming what's in the text? If not, well, then you just take what I say and just throw it away. You set it to the side. But if it is, then you've got to listen to it. You've got to hear it. Let it take effect in you. Put it in your mind and in your heart and let it affect you. And then go out and do it. And so the preacher must come prepared to preach, to proclaim the Word of God. And then the listeners have to come ready to listen. You've got to be ready to listen. You've got to be an active listener. Active listening. That means you, you, you come refreshed and ready to, to listen. You go to bed at a decent hour on Saturday night so that you can be up and awake and, and able to, to stay at pay attention and listen to the Word of God preached. You come ready to listen and hear the Word. You have to be a, an active listener. And then notice that, that all is to stay in order. Everyone is to stay in order. Notice what he says in verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there. Now there were, there were more than one prophets oftentimes in these first New Testament church, these first century churches. If there's someone else there and they get a revelation, let the first one be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And so instead of just right in the middle of service, someone jumping up and saying, oh, well, I'm getting a word from the Lord. No, you let the first one finish. And then you come in afterward and, and, and talk. In other words, in these services, in our worship service, as the message is being proclaimed, it's not a dialogue. Not a dialogue. Now, a lot of people today don't like that. In fact, in studying preaching, you, you hear a lot of people today say, oh, sermons are dead. Preaching is dead. No, what people want today, they want dialogue. No, you don't get dialogue. You don't get dialogue. God's not interested in what you think. Right? Because as I'm sitting up here preaching, I'm preaching the Word of God to you. God's not interested in what you have to say back. Oh, he wants to have a relationship to you. He wants you to pray and he wants to commune with you. But, but it's not a, a, one of those things, well, well, brother, I think, well, I think, what does God say? It's not, it doesn't matter what you think or I think. What does God say? What does he think? That's what matters. And so the, the preaching event is not a dialogue. It's not a dialogue. It's a monologue. It is thus say the Lord. One person standing before the congregation saying, thus saith the Lord. Period. 
And so everything must be done in order, and everyone must do their part. And there can't be these distractions, ongoing distractions taking place with people interrupting in the middle of service and all of these types of things. Right? So the preacher must preach and the listeners must listening. listen. And all of this has that one purpose for learning. We come here to learn, to learn about God, to learn about His Word, to learn how to obey Him, and for encouragement. Because God's Word encourages us as we, as we struggle in life. God's Word is there to encourage us, to build us up, and to strengthen us in our walk with the Lord. And so all of this is for that purpose, for building up the church, to encourage the church, and to teach the church about God. I remember in high school, I had a teacher who, who could never maintain order in a classroom. Never could maintain order in the classroom. In fact, most of the time we, we spent in the classroom, it, it was him chasing these other boys around the room with a paddle in his hand, telling them how he's going to, you better sit down, you better sit down. And the whole time was like that. Guess how much I learned in that class? Zero. <laughs> Nothing. I didn't learn a thing. Because the whole class was marked by chaos. There was no order whatsoever. Now think about it, if we had a, a church service that was conducted in the same way, where we just all kind of did our own thing, like this first, Corinthian, this first century church, the Corinthian church was doing, how much would we learn? How much would we get out of the service? We would get nothing out of it. So we have to come together, and, and the, pro, the proclamation of God's Word must be the priority in worship. So as we come together, the preacher must come prepared to preach, and the listeners must come prepared to listen, because this is the main course of what we do here. The song service, that's the appetizer. That gets us built up and ready to go. But God's Word, that's the main dish. It's the main course. That's what we're here for. We want to hear from you, God. Speak to us, God. So the preacher must preach and the listeners must listen. So orderly, uh, goals of, of orderly worship. Worship must be ordered for edification. Worship must be ordered for proclamation. And number three, order. Uh, worship must be ordered for glorification. Worship must be ordered for glorification. As we look at this last verse here, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now Paul is making an inference here. I don't know if you catch it or not, but, but think about what he's saying. For God is not a God of confusion, He's kind of making a, a comparison here. You know, man is marked by chaos. Man tends towards chaos. Chaos is, is man's way. Chaos is, is man's way. Take, for example, what, would, what do you think would happen if I just left the room? If I just left the room, left no one in charge, no one doing anything, I just left the room, what do you think would happen? Well, you'd sit there quietly for maybe a minute, maybe, 
right? Maybe a minute. And then And then I would slowly come up to a conversation level. And before you know it, everybody would be up talking and trying to get over everybody else. The room would be chaotic by the time I came back. We've seen this in classrooms. I know you've been in a classroom before. The teacher leaves and, and everybody sits there for a second or two. And, oh, where's she, where's she going? What's he doing? And, and then all of a sudden when the teacher comes back, oh, no, 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 you can't hear anything. It's just chaos. And, and she has to get things back in order. Right? Man's way is, is towards chaotic. It's chaos. Chaos is man's way. That's our way. Right? God's way is order. Order is God's way. At the very beginning, God created an order. He had an order of doing things. It was all, God, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said this, he said that. It was all in order. There was no chaos. God did everything in order. And then man comes along, and God gives man the order here. Here you go. Have dominion over all the earth. Just don't eat of this one tree. And what does man do? Man eats of the one tree and chaos ensues. After that, we see Cain killing, killing his brother Abel. We see war. We see conflict take place throughout the rest of Scripture. Man's way is chaos. It leads to chaos. It leads to destruction. God's way is the way of order. And so when we come together and we worship in an orderly manner, guess what? We give praise and glory to God. Because we're not choosing to follow man's way, which is chaos. But we're following God's way. And we're keeping things in order and with a purpose. Think about God's way. Think about government, right? What does, what does man's way lead to when, when we think about uh, government? Take Somalia, for instance. When Somalia, when they took away government and they, they moved to anarchy, what took place? It all went crazy. Now today, you don't want to go to Somalia. But government is a gift from God to bring order to society. Romans chapter 13, verse 3 through 4 says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So God is a God of order who puts government in place to bring law and order to people. Therefore, as we demonstrate our order, or we demonstrate order and peace within the corporate worship service, we honor and glorify God through that order and peace. So as we come together, we keep order for the glorification of God. Worship that honors God and builds up the church is orderly worship. Now the way to orderly worship Dear friend, is surrender. 
The way to orderly worship is surrender. You know, we see the problem in Corinth is a sin problem. Because you see people here, they want to, to build themselves up. They want to, they, they're, they're leaning towards pride. They're building themselves up, showing themselves off instead of surrendering to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Chaos is a sin problem. And if we're going to have orderly worship, then the sin has to be taken care of. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come to take care of the, the chaos. Sin led man to, into chaos. God sent His Son to lead man out of chaos and to bring order back to humanity. To bring His order back to humanity. So church, if we are going to be a church that honors and glorifies God in our worship, if we're going to be a church that when people come here, they're edified, they're built up in their relationship to Christ, then we must surrender to the Prince of Peace. We must surrender to Jesus Christ. So for us, we must today then turn our hearts and surrender to Jesus. For others, there's, for other, others of you here today, you, you come without a relationship. Your life is marked by chaos. It is utter chaos because you're choosing man's way rather than God's way. And God is inviting you today to turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Come out of the chaos and into his order, His kingdom, His reign over your life. Will you escape the chaos today by trusting in Jesus? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You sent Jesus to deliver us from the chaos. And bring us back into the, the order of Your kingdom. And Father, we just confess today our tendency towards chaos. But Lord, let us surrender to Your rule and Your reign over us. As we come together week by after week, let us come ready to worship, to do our part, so that the church may be built up and Your name may be glorified. Father, give us that strength. Give us that power. Work that in us. And Lord, if there's one today who does not know Jesus, Lord, let them see the Prince of Peace the Prince of Order, Jesus Christ, and surrender to Him today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with us if you will.